Hello, and welcome to the Kadai Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Dave. What's up? And Tori. Hello, Internet. Um, so, kind of a big day. We're starting Mistborn. Everybody's excited about Mistborn. Yay! I uh, don't so- know enough to be excited about it. Oh, man, you will be. You're excited. Um, Just go with me. I'm excited. So today we're just going to cover the prologue. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to do good thing. Because we always do good thing. So, Dave, what you got? My good thing this week is Final Fantasy Record. Just kidding. Final Fantasy V. Nice. I, <laughs> I've actually been playing that. <laughs> and uh, it's one of my... It's probably my favorite Final Fantasy game in terms of, in terms of mechanics. Um, however, I've been doing a charity run called Four Job Fiesta, where I don't get to make full use of that. But the interesting thing about it is the game is pretty much beatable with almost any kind of setup. So, uh, every summer around July, August time, there is an event called Final Fantasy V Four Job Fiesta, where players of Final Fantasy V, casual or professional, can do runs uh, where they are randomly given uh, jobs or classes or whatever you want to call them to complete the game. And people will pledge money for every completed run. And they raise tons of money for an organization known as Child's Play, which is, uh, I think it's it's an organization uh, made by gamers specifically to... Uh, and better the lives of children that are hospital-bound. Child's Play was actually originally created by the Penny Arcade guys. Uh, Jerry Holkins, Ah, Mike Rahulik. Taiko and Gabo. Yep. Um, And yeah, every year they deliver... uh, I want to say the past few years they've been getting up into the millions of dollars worth of basically just gaming stuff for kids who are stuck in hospitals with various illnesses and ailments and what have you. That That's correct. Uh, I actually donate to Child's Play at Christmas time every year in memory of my late brother, uh, who was a lifelong gamer, and I felt like that was a good way to honor him. Um, but yes, they raise millions of dollars um, in cash and also donated gaming equipment and uh, they distribute it to hospitals all over um, all over the world actually they started just with all over the United States but they've kind of spread out and it's a really good charity and you should think about donating to it but I am excited to hear about this four job fiesta thing because I didn't know that existed and Final Fantasy V is my favorite Final Fantasy game that's why I waited for you to be on the show to make it my good thing. <laughs> I remembered uh, listening to the earlier episodes and you just getting so excited about hearing Battle on the Big Bridge. And, uh... I love that song. <laughs> it's right up there with Eye of the Tiger in terms of motivating music when you just don't want to get out of bed. Maybe I should change my alarm to Battle on the Big Bridge. Or Battle on the Bridge. Only if it's the Black Mage's version, which is the best one. Oh, no, Buomatsu's band. Yes, indeed. Nerds. 
I'm sorry, are we not doing a podcast where we discuss fantasy novels? Yeah, we're a very specific category of nerd. I mean, we're not doing it at the moment. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> fantasy stuff. Um, all right, Tori, why don't you why don't you go ahead? Okay, way out of left field here. My good thing for the week is a picture book that I used in story time to great success. Um, I was doing a outreach story time at our local art museum, which currently has a display of French uh, artists. Uh, it's a traveling display. They have a lot of Degas now. And so the theme for the museum was summer in France. And I found a picture book called Escargot by Dashka Slater. And it is about a snail who is on a journey to the salad at the end of the book. It sounds, sounds compelling. Compelling. I mean. So the snail is... I'm just making more editing work for you. So the snail spends the whole journey trying to convince you that snails should be your favorite animal. And it's adorable. And if you can read it in a terrible French accent, so much the better. Well, snail, you're barking up the wrong tree because capybaras and wombats all both exist. But you see, snails, they are so cute, and we have these little curly shells, and we leave a nice little shell behind us, and we have these little eyes go Yeah, like that. That's the accent you need to use. That, that was an excellent bad French accent. Thank Which, you. speaking of... Uh, for Mistborn, um, everything's a little bit Frenchy. So if if you can sort of narrate it, narrate it to yourself in a bad French accent, you'll, you're you're like halfway there. Familiar. It's a ripoff of a tale of two cities, isn't it? Um, I don't want to, to confirm or deny that. <laughs> Kelsier's over there, like it is a far, far better thing that I do now. Um. Anyway. Kelsey. My, I've been calling him Kelsier. That's what I said. I thought you said Kelsey, but I guess if it's if it's French, it could be pronounced Kelsey. All right. So my good thing is a Looney Tunes uh, cartoon, Duck Season and Rabbit Season, wherein Bugs, Daffy, and Elmer Fudd are arguing about what season it is, and Daffy gets shot. This, this repeats and plays out over and over again, like at least a dozen times over the three-minute cartoon, and it's really good. Just, like, I laugh every time I've seen it. I've seen it hundreds of times. It's so wonderful. I also love that one. I don't really have any sort of, like, in-depth insight into this. It's just, it's a fun cartoon. You're not going to give us a complete, like, literary analysis of the conflict between rabbits and ducks? Uh, nah. Nah, it's just, it's just fun. That's fair. Um, so yeah, why don't we, why don't we get started? Uh, Dave, what happened in the prologue? Okay, so, the prologue starts off with this dude named... Lord something Meyer, Lord Tresting, and he is, is starts off by kind of setting the the world how there's uh, these this race of slaves known as the Skae, and they are he basically rents these slaves from their like emperor slash god 
Yeah. Can uh, I can I cut in here real quick? Yeah. Uh, this is not Elantris. They are ska. Okay. Not not ska. Not ska. Just ska. <laughs> ska. Okay. And continue. Okay. So he's kind of going through his plantation. He's like a. He's like a. I guess a, a lower like a surf. I don't know my feudal terminology, but he's like renting these slaves and owns this plantation and he's kind of like on his way up and he's about to make it big in the big city. Um, and he has, uh, one of the like highly distinguished, uh, servants of their emperor slash God. The, uh, what are they called? Obligators, I think. Yeah. So he's got this obligator and he's like, Really impressing him with how the way he like gets his work out of his slaves that he rented from what's the what's the emperor slash god's name Lord Master or something? It's like the Lord Ruler, the Lord Ruler. Yeah, okay. So the King uh, High Yardstick. <laughs> yes, King High Yardstick. Careful, you don't get slapped on the wrist. The God okay. King Caliper. <laughs> All right. So it also kind of sets up, you know, like the the uh, environment of the world. How like during the daytime, ash falls from the sky and the sun's like really hot. And during the nighttime, there's this mist that whether it's actually physically dangerous or there's just superstition behind it, nobody like wants to go out in the mist at nighttime. So we got this guy, Lord Tresting. And, you know, he's, he's excited about, um, very likely being able to move up in the world within the next couple of years. And he's going to celebrate with, uh, one of his favorite slave girls who I only assume is the girl on the cover and reading the back of the cover. Her name is probably Vin. Um, that's just my guess so far because we learned her mother's name is Jess, but anyway, so there's, there's kind of like his story. And then in the next part of the prologue, uh, Kelsier, Kelsier is, uh, introduced and he's kind of like, he's a, a ska, but he's like kind of broke free from the pack and he's like a world traveler and he, uh, he, he doesn't mind going out in the mist. He's like, he's like a cool dude and he goes around getting news and bringing you know, word of the outside to all the little ska villages. And the elders of uh, this particular ska village aren't really happy to see him. They think he's going to bum off of them and impress their kids. And then, like, the uh, the elders have to deal with the fallout of, like, all the kids being excited, hearing all these stories about how the world's going to change. And they're like, oh, no, guys, it's just, you know, don't listen to him. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, he's... About to go back out in the middle of the night, and they're like, no, don't go out into the mist, it'll eat your soul, or something. And then he's like, but then they hear this screaming off in the distance, and then Kelsier burned tin. He has this, like, superpower, and the introductory sentence of his superpower is, Kelsier burned tin. And I read that a few times, trying to figure out what exactly that meant, but actually the... The way to start understanding is to read the next paragraph. I thought, like, he literally, like, threw tin in the fire. But apparently he's got, like, all these different metals in his stomach that he can, like, burn <laughs> or something. 
He's uh, the tin sat with other allomantic metals within his stomach, swallowed earlier, waiting for him to draw upon them. So he's got all these metals in his stomach that he can, like, start, like, that he can consciously digest to give him superpowers. And this one gives him super senses so he can hear off in the distance uh, that uh, someone is screaming. And this is uh, the girl that Lord Trusting was quote, celebrating or planning to celebrate with. And, you know, the uh, Lord Ruler doesn't like uh, doesn't like crossbreeds or, like, he doesn't want people, um, you know, mating with the... He doesn't want, like, the noblemen mating with the slaves. So, basically, you have your way with the slave girl and then and then you have her killed so that you don't... That's how... That's kind of like the rules of this world. Uh, imposed by Lord Ruler, so. And of course, Lord Trusting is a law-abiding citizen, so if he intends to kill this girl, uh, we learn that her mother's name is Jess, and Kelsier goes and rescues her by murdering everybody in the palace and burning it down. Um, <laughs> Kelsier gets out of, you know, gets out of Dodge, and then the elders have to basically move into hiding. And that's basically where we left off in the end of the prologue. Okay. So, first off, you are almost certainly pronouncing um, his name correctly. However, you are not pronouncing it the way that literally anyone else does. Uh, the audiobooks call him Kelsier. Brandon calls him Kelsier. It's probably correctly pronounced Kelsier. You know, I said Kelsier... As I was reading it, but then Tori or you said Tori and you said how French it was, so that's why I changed it to Kelsier. Right. Um, that's why yeah, I'm saying everybody like, pronounces it Kelsier. But that's why I'm saying that you're 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 almost certainly actually technically correct here. Kelsier returns Jess's daughter to her, and because that's that was like the thing they're like Jess's daughter. How are you back? Why is the castle burnt down? Oh no, we're gonna get in trouble. We better run. And then, uh, the next thing is, you gave us a little quote here that I felt was very good. Um, consciously digest to give him superpowers. Um, that is a good and accurate description of how the magic system works. Okay. Um, and then, sort of a last thing, and this one took me a while the first time I read, uh, but the world looks very alien to what you might be thinking of. So, the sun is red, ash falls from the sky, uh, the plants are brown rather than green. Like, all of these are very, sort of, key components to the setting that all get mentioned here in the prologue, but... It's descriptive, and generally when I'm reading something for the first time, I sort of just sort of skim over those. Um, yeah, I thought that the sunburned red was just metaphorical. Like nope. It was a hot summer day. Nope. Actual, literal red sun. Superman would not have a good time on Scadrial. Unless he turned out to be an Alamancer. Eh. <laughs> I'm not convinced but anyone has a good time on Scadrial. It's not a great yeah, place. Yeah, it doesn't sound that way. Yeah, they have to clean all the ash off the plants. It seems annoying. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So even though this description comes up several times in the prologue and throughout the book, my brain just never makes that switch. Like, I will be imagining green fields right up until Sanderson tells me they're brown again. And I'll be like, oh, right, right. Alien world, different from ours. This is one of the reasons I don't read science fiction and focus on fantasy, because most fantasy takes place in medieval Europe, more or less. Is that your cat? No, that was my dog. I have house guests, and one of them came down the stairs, and Phantom thinks he has to protect me from everyone coming down the stairs. It's okay if they come through the door, <laughs> but if they're already problem. So um, that's what that was. Okay. I thought maybe um, Dave was just really hungry. <laughs> right. Well, he... No, I just had a bowl of cereal. Um, yeah, so I I sort of blame the Wheel of Time for causing me to just mentally skip over descriptive paragraphs like that. Because, dang, really Robert Jordan. Though in these prologues. I mean, Sanderson crams a lot into the prologues. Yeah. Um, like, yes. in Mistborn... In, in Warbreaker, in Way of Kings, um, basically he uses the prologue to throw you into the world and cram it full of world description and how the magic works. I, I can't think of one of his books where that's not true. Correct me if you think of one. Um, I mean, Elantris only had a one-page prologue. and Yeah, but it, it covered everything that I just mentioned. <laughs> uh, maybe. Explain how the magic doesn't work. And then... Right, and it continues to not work throughout the book until Raiden fixes it, so... Stormlight has both a prelude and a prologue, which actually does even more of that. But... And that confused me when I read it. Um, Dave will find out when we get there, but you've got the... One of them is talking about this awesome assassin guy who can throw people at the ceiling and they stick there, and then we start talking <laughs> about this soldier on the battlefield, and what? It, it's kind of a, a jarring transition, that, but it all makes sense as you keep going. Um, like actually, there's a the prelude, a prologue, and then a flashback. <laughs> because you're forgetting okay, the, right. the the actual prelude, which was a different thing that I don't want to go into specifics for, because Dave is here. Now you can talk all about it when you kick me out. Yeah, so and we will. Is that girl? So is Jess's daughter, Vin? I can neither confirm nor deny. Fine. Um, actually, in in actual question terms, that gets you a Rafo. Fine. I knew you weren't going to answer anyway. Um, and I also liked that you, until you remembered his name, you called uh, Lord Trusting Lord Something Meyer. That was just fun. <laughs> uh, so is the girl on the on the front of my cover, Vin? Uh, probably. Okay. It might Other depend on what is, what cover you have, but well, I feel like that's fairly safe. Two daggers. She's wearing a cape and she's like jumping through the mist. That that's probably Vin. Okay. What final question is? Is Jess's daughter the girl on the front of my cover? Read and find out. <laughs> Dang it! Thought I could trick you. I love the circuitous route that this is taking. Oh man. Um. If you ever get a chance, actually listen to some audio from, like, a Brandon question and answer session. Uh, Dave is, like, very surface level with this. Uh, there's some people that get deep. 
that like try to get answers out of him that they know he shouldn't answer. Uh, I yeah, except he often does answer. Like unless it's sort of a plot crucial element that's going to show up later, um, he's usually pretty good about about like yeah or no or your question has sort of a flaw in that it assumes some things that aren't necessarily true, or in the case of, like, is this thing possible? I mean, technically, yeah, because you can do a lot of stuff with the magic systems, but in practical terms, probably not. But yeah, um, Q&A sessions with Brandon are very interesting, and also, like, the nerdiest thing you've ever listened to. I like the... They're the kind of thing that they make fun of on The Simpsons. Yes. If the, the Sim- if the Simpsons ever decided CD-ROM, to go that deep. Is it possible to get out of the dungeon without using the wizard's key? <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's that that's basically it. Um, In episode 2F03, where Itchy plays Scratchy's rib cage like a xylophone, he strikes the same rib twice in succession, yet complete, produces two completely different tones. What are we to assume this is some sort of a magic xylophone? <laughs> Except with Brandon, that would that scene would have been intentional, and yes, it's a magic xylophone. Uh, so, you've only met a few characters, but who's your favorite so far? Uh, probably the old dude. Menace? Um, yeah, Dennis the Menace. No, no, he's the fake old dude. Who's the real old dude? Where is he the... Was that not Menace? I thought that was Menace. Menace is a real old dude. Menace is the real old dude. Tepper is the fake old dude. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Menace is probably my favorite so far. Because he's like, he's he's wise and he is basically, um, has the same qualms that Tepper does, but he's, you know, more, um, he's more like tactful about it. I guess. But he's like, alright, I guess it's, I guess we gotta go now, guys. Um, yeah, he's a, he seems wise and he seems like, like he's, he's aging and like dying, but you know, he's, he's determined to, uh, lead his people when they need him. So I like that about him. Alright, uh. I like how resigned he is to all of it. Just like, <laughs> Oh, you're you're that survivor guy, aren't you? And then like, oh, I guess the Lord Ruler will kill us all. We better go. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like he's he's definitely that stereotypical ska that's been trodden down over the years to the point where it's like, well, I guess that's how we're gonna die now. I can almost hear him rolling his eyes every time Kelsier is. <laughs> Um, all right. So, what sort of what sort of theories do you have for what's what's going to happen? Um, Based on the practically no information you got in the prologue, Jess's daughter is going to break free of the village and find Kelsier. And uh, I also read the back of the book, which is kind of cheating. I, I don't know if it's cheating. Like the back cover. Yeah, back cover's fine. Alright, it's kind of cheating, but Kelsier is gonna, like, fail or die or something or give up hope, and then Vin, who I'm still guessing is Jess's daughter, is going to save the world in, in his place. 
maybe maybe Vin. I'm guessing Vin like it says she's a street urchin on the back cover, so I guess he's like in the capital city or whatever. What's it called? Luthadel. So I don't think they have street urchins on plantation, so I'm guessing that she lives in Luthadel. And yeah. All right. Um, you got anything like, else before we kick you off? Uh, maybe Lord What's His Face, Lord Ruler, is actually mortal and isn't like isn't actually a god, and he'll get taken down. Uh, yeah, not much to go on really. <laughs> so my my guess for this book is bad stuff's going to happen, and just when you think good stuff won't happen, good stuff will happen. All right, I've decided that I'm going to start calling him Emperor Meter Stick. Emperor Meter Stick. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the pal version, right? <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're done with you. So. Yeah. Thank uh, you for, for next time. You want to read chapters one through four. One through four. Got it. All right. See you next episode. Adios. Thanks for summaries and stuff. I'm gonna go watch the duck seasons. Okay. Rabbit season. <laughs> this concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Sean Bean's character dies. All right, uh, ye be warned, here there be spoilers. Uh, so Dave got about everything wrong. Yeah, just about. Like, shockingly wrong. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Vin, over the course of three books, proceeds to not ever save the world. She tries, and she gets close. A but for she effort. Yeah. Vin just does not do it. Nope. Um... He did call Kelsier dying, but then he immediately, like, moved on from that instead of, instead of, like, really doubling down on it. Right. So, I don't feel like I should give him credit for that one. And, yeah, Vin is not the, um, Jess's daughter that, No. Nope. Um, alright, so I have... Some things oh, to look out Oh, and to my for. knowledge... Oh, yeah, go ahead. I don't I don't remember if Menace dies. I assume he does somewhere toward the end, because lots of people do, but... Yeah, I, I know, know when, we, when next we see him, he's he's alive and in the Rebellion. Yeah, we see him again, but I don't think we ever get, like, confirmation of whether he lives or dies. I, I don't think we hear about him again after that scene, so... I suppose I could look it up on the Copper Mind. I suppose you could, if you cared enough. I, for one, do not. I'm looking. Menace, <laughs> the Copper Mind, 17th Shard. Um, nope. We get nothing. Okay. I mean, by Era 2, he's almost certainly dead, so there's that. But... But... Nope, um, we don't get any confirmation during this. I think so he's only in the first book, what, too. What Dave got wrong. Um, I feel like he did get some stuff right, um... Or 
not so much that he got it right, but that he was actually really paying attention as he was reading this prologue more than you and I would have been doing on our first read through. Oh, definitely. Uh, good on him. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I, I get confused when they just throw you right into the middle of the, of the magic like that. Uh, and for the, our first introduction to Alamancy to be that Kelsier burned 10, um, yeah, that, I, I don't remember it hitting me quite the way it hit Dave because I just would have kept on reading until it made sense. But yeah, Sanderson does throw you right into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I remembered the prologue to this actually being a little more actiony with like Kelsier actually going in and fighting folks. But I guess I was confusing that with the later scene where he goes and raids. I want to say keep venture, which is still like early chapters, like chapter three or four or something like that. So we'll get, we'll get to some nice action very quickly, but yeah. Yeah. I, and uh, it's, it's interesting how, um, because like you, that's how I remembered the prologue going, but all of that happens off screen. And it's not until you get farther into the book that you realize that that's probably how it went down. Yeah. Maybe I was just sort of, hmm, I'm guessing what happened then is that Brandon wanted to do that because, you know, a cool action opening is is nice and fun, and uh, it's actually called a Batman cold open uh, in honor of the Batman animated series doing that literally every episode. Um, but he probably also didn't want necessarily to throw people quite in the deep end of, you know, burning metals and shooting coins and flaring pewter and just all sorts of nonsense that they've got no grounding in and won't really get a chance to understand for a while. Um, But he does sort of turn around on that by the time we get to Stormlight, because the the, the Zeth opening, oh man. Yes, right. And that was what I was trying to talk about earlier, uh, but didn't really get into it while Dave was still on. Um, is and and also the um, the first bit of Warbreaker does the same thing. Yeah, you get uh, why am I blanking on his a name? Lot Vasher. Of magic, a lot of awesome, a whole lot of action. Yeah, Vasher breaking out of prison and in spectacular re- style. Right, and. I don't think he actually kills anyone. I think Nightblood does a lot of murdering, but but that's its own separate Not thing. But um, bump. Oh, so the Stormlight prelude, and then prologue, and then flashback. the The prelude is the um, not the Radiance, the Heralds, the scene with the Heralds where they leave their right. where they right. leave their swords. The prologue is Zeth doing all the murders, and, and then the flashback is Sen um, peeing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was really confusing at first. Um, and then good on good on Dave for for trying to assume that there's like a standard vocabulary across the Cosmere. Yes, again, A for effort. <laughs> like, like he took 
some rules that he knew, and he tried to apply them. This time it didn't work out, but, I mean... Much like Vin, he tried, but he didn't quite make it. Yeah. Okay, so some things I want to keep an eye on. Um, The obligator that Trusting is talking to. Um, Who's that dude? Right. He's a full prelin. He works for the Ventures. Do we ever see him again? Do we ever get a name for him? Who is that dude? Question. Uh, I tried to do some digging, but, like, honestly, the, the search terms I've got are so vague that they got me nowhere. Like, now, did it specifically say he worked for the Ventures? I thought they all worked for the uh, Lord Ruler and just sort of were contracted out to these houses sometimes. Uh, that's basically how it works, but he's he's there specifically on behalf of the Ventures at that point. At that point, yeah. Um, which would imply, then, that we're likely to see him again later uh, at one of the many Venture gatherings. But I don't know. So I that's something know. to keep an eye out for. That's an interesting question. Um, and uh, this... Prologue actually included a lot of things that I didn't remember being mentioned quite this early. Um, so we have mention of the Coloss. We have mention of mist raids and of mist raids that can take human form and replace a person. Um, we have mention of Inquisitors. Like, we don't get really explanation for any of this stuff but like we get it all gets dropped right here which is kind of huge yeah and as i read and reread sanderson's stuff i am constantly impressed with how much information he manages to cram into a short amount of space um because when i try to do that with my own writing it just goes on and on and on and takes pages and so many words but Sanderson gets it right out there, and and I'm jealous. Oh, and just just a reminder, Coloss uh, get mentioned actually quite frequently in the first book, but you don't see them until book two. Like you never get a Coloss on screen until book two. So they're mentioned, they're like these dreaded things, but you never actually find out what they are for a while, and then. Um, as far as, like, mistrays, you get to see a little bit and get some explanation on them in this book. But then Chandra, you don't really get a lot until we get introduced to Tensoon. Yay, Tensoon. He's, he's I think, my favorite character in this first trilogy. Uh, so on that, who's your, who's your favorite character, trilogy, Era 1? Era 1? Um, I don't know. Like, in the first book... It was definitely Kelsier. I was crushed when he died at the end. Um, didn't really care for Vin in the first book. And the reason is because she is a, a strong, independent female main character, and I don't identify with them at all. Uh, I always feel like I am the most disorganized person in the world, and I need to be rescued by someone else. And so... I read these books about the strong, independent female main character and how she's going to go off and save the world. And I'm like, you do that, honey. You go right ahead. I'll watch. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Vin was not my favorite character in the first book. Um, but toward the end, as, uh, like we said, as she tries and fails multiple times and never can seem to do the right thing, I started to identify with her more because she's very much not a Mary Sue, like, and she's not one of those perfect heroes that gets it all done. Uh, she, she has her failings and her weaknesses and those come out more as the trilogy goes on. So yeah, I'd say she was my favorite by the end. Okay. Um, did you, in your first reading, notice that Vin was the only female character in this first book? No, no, I did not. But, uh, on the second reading, that really jumped out at me. Yeah, um, that's, like, a big reason why we get so many, um, female characters introduced in books two and three, is, like, Brandon realized, oh, oh yeah, there's one girl. There's literally one girl in this entire world. Oops. Um, but once we find out more about her, uh, I become a big, big fan of Alrianne. Like, she's, right. <laughs> she's, she's very interesting and incredibly fun. Like, your first impression of her is through Vin's POV, uh, who just sees a pink puffball pretending to be human, um, but... Once you get some stuff, like, from Breeze's perspective, from Alrienne's own perspective, like, like she really opens up as a character, and she's so good. I mean, she's almost, like, a spy. Well, like, she's got all the characteristics of a spy, uh, just that she's gathering information and data and using her wiles to act on it, and you just don't even realize how conniving and manipulative she is yeah she's fun yeah um all right next big thing for for mistborn uh so the finale of this book um depends a lot on understanding of compounding which is not explained well in this book do you feel like you have a grasp on it or should i go over it and try to Try to get you up to speed with it, because I don't think you haven't read Era Two yet, have you? Uh, I've read the first two Era Two books. Okay, then never mind. You actually should have a pretty good, pretty good handle on compounding. Wax and Wayne yeah, One is like really is yeah. really sort of the um, the good primer on how compounding works. But is now a good place to get into it for the people at home, or do we save that for a later Mistborn episode? I mean. If we get into it now, we're going to get into it later also. So, I guess, uh, Compounding 101, here we go. Um, okay. Alright, so, there are three magic systems um, on Scadrial. They all deal with metals. The first is Allomancy, the second is Ferrucamy, the third is Hemallergy. We don't care about Hemallergy right now. It's not relevant to this discussion. Um, and you don't actually find out much about hemallergy until, uh, I think really book three is, is when you finally actually get some explanation on it. If I'm remembering correctly. I don't remember when it was, but it's horrific when you get it. Yeah, no, it's, it's real nasty. Uh, okay. So Allomancy is the, the primary power set that, that these books care about. Um, where you burn metal, like Kelsier burned tin, 
Um, you digest it to give yourself superpowers. Um, the power from that comes from the metal. Um, that's, that's the form of the investiture. What metal you burn uh, gives you different powers, and that's very straightforward. Like, most Alamancers can only burn one metal, and then they only have the one power. Mistborn can burn all the metals, and so they have access to all these different powers, and they can interact and work together in different ways. Um, Farukami... And you sorry. should also mention that it's uh, either all of them, or just one of them. Right. Like nobody has two. Well... You get it. You get into some stuff, but that that deals with hemallergy, which I don't want to deal with right now. Um. Anyway, so the power from alchem or from uh, alamancy uh, comes from the metal. In ferrukami, it's basically the metal is a battery for things that your body can already do. Um. Things like strength things like sight hearing um a sense of taste t sense of smell uh your physical weight you can store uh you can store sleep you can store um breath like you can hyperventilate yourself for a little bit and store some breath so you can hold your breath longer uh you can store body heat like there's all sorts of of interesting things that can be stored in these metals, but it comes from you, and then you just get that same amount back. There's no there's no net gain or net loss. So if you if you store if you make yourself half as strong for an hour, then you can be that much stronger for an hour, or a lot stronger for a way shorter amount of time. Um, I mean, in in practical terms. It's actually fairly useful because how often do you need to be, you know, strong? Like, like how often does it matter that you can only lift half as much as as you normally do? Uh, how useful would it be to Not just... Not very often for me because I'm lazy. Yeah. How useful would it be to just be able to make yourself, you know, weigh half as much all the time? I would sure enjoy that. And Phantom apparently is enjoying that squeaky toy. Yeah, I tried to take it away from him, but he just seems so happy with it. No, it's cool. It's good background. Um, so yeah, Farukami is like it's it's a net zero effect. All you can do is change like when you have access to this. Um, compounding is when you have Alamancy and uh, Farukami. Sorry, what happened? Somebody had Alamancy and Farukimi. Um So what happens there is if a Farukimist stores an attribute in a, in a piece of metal, uh, let's say a few flakes suspended in an alcohol solution that they then drank. Um, let's say they, they stored, let's say it was pewter, and they stored some strength in it. And then... When they burned that pewter, what happens is they get what they stored in it um, back exponentially greater. Um, so it doesn't make the pu the pewter burning better. Like that that factor, the alamancy is still just 
it is what it is. You can't really be better. Um, instead, what it gives you is this huge now store of strength that you can immediately throw into a pewter mind um, and then just basically have an infinite storage of strength. Um, so the important thing to keep in mind about compounding is that it doesn't affect the allomancy end of things. All it does is it gives you basically an infinite resource of the Farukami aspect. So, so yeah, does that, does that track? Like, yes, it does. Like in era two, um, our, our big example is mild hundred lives, who is a double gold. He can burn gold, which doesn't really do anything useful. Uh, and he can also store in gold, which gives him health. So the allomancy isn't affected, but it gives him basically an infinite storage of healing, uh, which he uses to get shot in the face with a shotgun and keep a stick of dynamite in his cigar case in case he ever gets, you know, trapped in a net. And I think he gets his hand shot off at one point, just like completely off, and it just, it grows back. That one good scene from Deadpool style. Right, right. Although I don't think he ever had, like, the baby hand. Maybe. Let's pretend. But there's no unicorns on Skadril that we know of. Um, I mean, the animal life on various worlds is, I think, going to be sort of its own discussion topic because there's some weirdness going on there. I kind of want to bring... I kind of want Craig here to be here for that. Um, so, so yeah, that's how compounding works. It's it's only good for the Farukami side of things, and it's basically an infinite storage hack, basically. Like, if, if this were a video game, this would be a, a glitch that you're exploiting. Um, it's good that we covered this minor and insignificant topic that will never come up on the podcast <laughs> again. Uh, so, Tori. Uh, yes, Mike. Do you... Have you... Um, okay, so you have read two out of the three Era 2 books. Um, so you've got a pretty good grounding in what all, what like the full spectrum of metals do, right? That's correct. Yes. Um, okay, so with that in mind, let's say that you're a twinborn. What would your two, what would your two metals be? Like, would you be a compounder? Would you want more variety? What would you want to do? Oh, that's an excellent question that I have not thought of before. Oh, yeah, I really like um, Wayne's ability to um, have speed bubbles, like, because I'm always feeling like I'm behind on all the things. And if I could move a little faster and just have time stop around me, that would be fantastic. So I'm, I'm going to say I want that one for sure. But... As far as what to go with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to think long and hard about that. Ask me about that next week. Okay. What would yours be? Well... Because clearly you've thought about this, or you wouldn't have asked. I have thought about this. And on the allomancy side, um, emotional allomancy. Either one doesn't really matter. Um, but on the ferrochemical side, I mean, compounding... Zinc is way more useful because it stores mental speed than brass, which just stores warmth. Warmth doesn't seem like a a huge 
boost in my day-to-day life. Um, although, now that I think about it, like, if I could just be cooler, just be able to store warmth and not be hot anymore, that would be great. Yeah, I'd go double brass. Right, because you could you could be cool all summer and then warm all winter. If you live in a place like I do, where it's currently 110 degrees outside, and in the winter it's going to be like 10 degrees outside. Yeah, I'd go double brass. And I don't think I'd ever bother using the compounding. I just, I, I wouldn't yeah. see a use for it. But you would just store it and then not be cold in the wintertime. Yeah, that's, yeah. All right. The savings on air conditioning alone. Oh, man. I, I mean, whatever. Just my office at work is like 100 degrees all the time. It's... It's terrible. And just, like, being able to not be miserable because it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, you got anything else? Mm, no. No, I think that about covers it for me. Okay. Then let's just go ahead and call it here. Um, oh, and start thinking about uh, casting. It's going to be a bit, but I'd like to have a nice... A nice list prepped. Um, well, I, I know by the end of... I, I said we should read through chapter four. And um, so by then, we, um, we've we met some of the crew. Maybe all of the crew. Um, so, yeah, not next episode, but definitely I'd say the one after that. We can have our big discussion about casting. Okay. Um, I will also go ahead and say that trying to cast Kelsier as Sean Bean or trying to cast Sean Bean as Kelsier is cheating. I really think he could do the role justice though. Okay. But it's, no, I'm it's cheating. cheating. It's definitely cheating. Yeah. We're not going to go there. I'll <laughs> think of something else. So, all right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Bye internet. This has been the Cosmere deep dive podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.